You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. the Lord, right? I think uh, think too often we take this place and this people for granted, and uh, it's just nice to be, um, you know, with me playing less in the band now, because we've got a great team, uh, I treasure the moment, so I get to sit up there and just look out at everybody today, and uh, and I'm thankful for you and here at our church, all these faces, all these hearts and all these people, so um, yeah, how great was that? I know. Uh, if you haven't, if you, if you missed this the last few weeks, uh, we had a problem with our computer. It's called the Dante Network, and it's taken through every level of a, the inferno um, of connecting to sound, you know, and not have audio through the, through the thing. So uh, I feel like the Charlie Chapin days, like videos now with sound. So, you know, before even just have, have some, you know, worship music in the background before service and this, I'm, I'm thankful. Mike and I were here till like 11 p.m. on Wednesday. So uh, thank, thankful for people who serve, and that's just one example of, of so many things that so many of y'all do uh, throughout the week and all the ministries and opportunities here. Um, before we get into today's message, which I know you've heard me say this before, uh, might not be a long one. Uh, I hope you, you may not trust me on that now, and that's, that's fair. I, I deserve that. I deserve that. Uh, but before we get into the t- today's message, uh, I want to invite us to, to pray. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we have prayed now multiple times throughout this gathering, and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity for prayer, thankful for the opportunity to, to be a body of Christ that you have, have called us together. And uh, as that in the, in the womb, your word tells us that you formed us in the secret place, you knitted us together. And uh, that's for our human bodies. How much greater then can it be, Lord, that you have knitted us together into this body, that you are uh, bringing the increase, that you are changing the hearts, that you are growing us um, just as infants into toddlers, into, you know, then teenagers and adulthood. God, I pray that we um, all seek to mature in your word, and as we see it through, I pray that... um, that the word would be sufficient today, your word, not mine, um, and uh, that, that we would leave here challenged, not because of anything that I've said, but because of what your word has exposed to us and in us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So God, I pray that, um, that we rejoice with the word, even as it may challenge us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. As is, again, becoming our custom here, uh, out of simply just reverence, In just a moment, uh, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of today's word, where in Acts chapter 11 will be our main passage for today, and that's where we'll be spending most of our time in reading from. Um, Though they did not win yesterday, Mike, I get get your enthusiasm, you're ready, he's just ready, I'm like, uh, I'm setting it up a little bit. Though they did not win yesterday, Texas A&M has a fantastic tradition, right? And uh, at the 12th man, the stadium... Kyle Field, if you are unfamiliar with the miraculous world of college football um, that happened, especially score-wise yesterday, uh, and another one, and another one, bite the dust. That's kind of the way, you know, a lot of things went, especially if you're a Notre Dame fan or Texas A&M. Regardless, 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 um, they have a standing tradition there. And the the day before the game, uh, all as many will come, uh, will go to Kyle Field, and they will practice and rehearse chants and sway this and that. So the, the next day, the next day, game day, when it really matters, they are ready. They are, are just simply doing what they practiced the next day. It could be a brand new chant they've done, done before, and everyone who wasn't there at the stadium the day before the game at Kyle Field 
for Texas A&M will be left out. They're like, I didn't, I didn't learn this chant. Yeah, yeah, you missed yesterday. I want us to think about that because it's doubtful. If, if you've ever been to a football game, any game of any sport to which you are 10% passionate, you stand for most of it. Um, there, you know, it's, it's funny because you know, parents bring lounge chairs to the sidelines of their kids' soccer games. They're just for appearance. You know, they, they're just in case, you know, they don't sit in them. They're screaming on the end of the sidelines, go, no, wrong way, wrong way, Johnny, wrong way. Kick the... No, we stand for the things that are important. We stand for the things that are important. So in perspective of that, and that for the game that which we are as Christ followers really preparing for is not even this day, as good as this day is, is the eternal day in which we all stand uh, those of us who have believed and followed, uh, trusted and obeyed, those uh, of us will be standing forever, possibly, on repeat, as holy, holy, holy is proclaimed for eternity. And I look forward to that day, as David, one of our elders, uh, said, uh, I look forward to that day. And the Word tells us to anticipate and look forward to that day. And that's what's coming. And we're to be standing in the presence of the real and living Word, Right there, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that is the person of Jesus Christ. But to be in the presence of the living Word forever, that is worthy of standing, right? This is the living and active Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to separate bone from marrow, muscle from sinew, and pierce our hearts. The Spirit expose our weakness. And even in our weakness, as Paul says, we boast. For in our weakness, Christ's strength can be shown. So because he is holy, because he is worthy, because his word matters, because this is much more important than a Texas A&M game, let us stand for the reading of the word today. That might even be my sermon. I don't know. That would be enough. That would be enough. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. To 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year... They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You may be seated. Not a long passage today, but there's enough going on in there that it's worth um, stopping and spending some time on. And you, you may notice that Sometimes it might seem like we're getting even slower as we go through the book of Acts. You're like, I thought we were just a sermon series for the summer. So did I when we started. Um, but I don't want to cover too much text, too much, in, into one day. Some days uh, it might seem like that. I'm trying to do the best I can uh, as the Spirit leads me to what to talk about. And, um, and originally we're going to go through verse 30 like that matters today. We're not. We're going to stop today in 26 because there is enough here. There's definitely enough here that should cause us to evaluate, to think, to have the Spirit um, reveal some things in us. I'm going to break some of this down in case we haven't thought about this in a while or if we've never even read this before. A few chapters ago, we read about the stoning of a man named Stephen. 
a deacon who had been brought in, up, brought, elevated, brought up to the church, a man who the word tells us was full of the Holy Spirit, all right, and passionate, zealous for the Lord, and a man named Saul who was persecuting the Jews and the Christians, the Christ followers, because they were all had been Jewish at that point and then became Christians. We've talked about that, so I won't, won't go there too, too long. Was standing on looking on as Stephen was murdered, stoned. And he accepted gifts, laying down of cloaks as a sign of honor from those who were around stoning Stephen. And it's worth mentioning, even if we know these two figures that we've talked about over the last two months, of Stephen and of Saul, Saul's transformation on the road to Damascus, and then coming to become a believer and a follower of the way, preaching so boldly, in fact, that they had to send him out of Jerusalem after he went back there because people were hunting down his life because he was preaching so boldly. And we, we, we talked about how important it was that had Stephen's death not occurred, we might not have the church we know. And this is evidence of this right here in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And again, up until this point, they were all kind of, many of them under this um, umbrella that you had to become a, a Jew before you became a Christian. Now, the last few chapters, we've read about how that was not to be the case and how the, the vision was revealed to Peter on the roof and the sheet coming down and how Peter then brought that word back to Jerusalem. But the, the word hadn't gotten all the way out to all the places that the, Peter, that the people had scattered. Because one thing, as we read through this book, every once in a while, I'm going to give you a time reference. And it's important to note. Because all of this didn't happen back to back to back to back to back. In fact, in fact, the time span here of when Saul left Jerusalem at the end of, da, 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 this would be chapter 9, to now where we're at in chapter 11 has been three to four years. Think about that for a second. So the last we heard of Saul, he went off back home uh, to Tarsus. And that's the last we've heard of him. This has been three to four years now, and the man who stood up and vouched for Saul, as he was an early Christ follower, named, if you recall, Barnabas, we talked about him. This same Barnabas now, in just a few moments, is going to go look for this same Saul. So it's been four years between chapter 9 and now chapter 11, and that's important to note. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen that traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now those, again, are Jews that uh, were not from or around Jerusalem and had Greek backgrounds, families, or upbringings and had come to the faith. The first thing I want to really talk about is here in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. Now we know from reading the Old Testament that the Israelites by themselves were powerful enough to do zero miracles. But the hand of the Lord, through Moses through the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night, and the crossing of the Jordan, paved the way for this people to be into this place right now. So my first reminder for us this morning is actually not necessarily here in verse 21. And you don't have to turn here, but John chapter 15 is where I want to read a bit from. John chapter 15. Jesus says, verse 1, I am the true vine. Not just the vine, I am not the best vine, I am the true vine. Why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's another reminder there that anything that can be found out in the world apart from the word of God is not necessarily true, or good, or pleasing, or excellent, or praiseworthy. But in Christ, he is the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch, that'd be you and I, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And again, I've used this before, but every branch that's pruned, most likely if it could utter a word, would say, ouch, pruning at the time is not pleasant. Discipline at the time is not pleasant. But why do we do that? Why do we trim our bushes back a couple of times a year? So that it will fill out more and be more prosperous and more flowers and more fruit. Already you are clean, Jesus says, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And that's a good reminder. We talked for the last five weeks in our young adult study about the fruits. Not the fruit of the spirit. The uh, the, the, um, the spiritual gifts. And how we are, those will enable us to then bear help bear fruits of the Spirit when we're using the spiritual gifts that, that God has given us in the right way. So abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. For you and I as a church, we are branches. And it might seem like there are a lot of other branch groups out there that are doing a lot of other good things. They're very busy doing not necessarily very busy being. Lately I've been wrestling with, and this has come up three or four times in just separate conversations over the last two weeks, with the Mary-Martha paradox. What I mean by that is you have uh, Jesus at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Martha is a great doer. And Martha is in the kitchen. You may know this story. And Martha is in the kitchen preparing for all these people to come over. She's doing her best job to be a great host. Respecting a lot of people. Got to do, 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 do. She peeks her head out of the kitchen like, Mary, come on, what are you doing? I'm in here baking biscuits and I need help. Just interrupts her and like, no, no, no. She's, She's where she should be. She's at my feet. She's in the presence. She's being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you and I can get caught up in the doing. We can look out there and like so many people are doing things, but, but why? And are they more caught up in, in the doing versus the being? I realize everybody might not see things the way I see things, and that's, that's fine. But for this time and this season, well, here I is. Over the last almost eight years, I have seen a lot of things here at True Life Church. I've seen a lot of people. I've seen people come. I've seen people go. I've seen us renovate and relocate. And many of you have been along for, for, for that journey. But what is important for us to know right now is that God is building our church. And I don't know if you sense that or feel that as I do. But I believe that God is bringing an increase, that he's bringing people who will be with us for the next season of this church's journey. I believe that there has been a pruning, maybe in some of our hearts, maybe definitely within the church body, and it's unpleasant. Okay. But if we don't understand where we're at in this season of transition, what is the most important thing that we as a church should be about right now? And I would argue in the Mary Martha paradox that it's the being. It's the being in the presence of Jesus. That's where we're going to come back around to this in our passage in Acts also. Why is that more important? Well, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I find myself reflecting over the last seven and a half or so years of my time here at True Life Church and realizing that though God has been able to use my foolishness and my mistakes 
for his purpose. Thanks be to God. It's not because of me, it's because of him. I'm, I'm looking back over the first few years. I even had a conversation a couple of days ago with a member of our church, just casually, uh, at Starbucks. Man, I think I, I, I saw half of our church on Friday. That's how I feel like. I bumped in about everybody. I uh, even saw the Marinos crossing Post Road. They didn't see me. I'm waving like a... Yeah, anyway. And so just having, having a conversation. It was great to see you all out in the real world, <laughs> for apart from here. And then also to have these conversations exist out in the real world. And uh, I was confessing with this brother of Christ also. Like, I'm looking back over the last few, you know, four, five, six, especially years ago. And I was like, man, I, I put a lot on my shoulders. And when the church did well, surely it must be because I was doing a good job. And when church did poorly, surely it's because I must have failed as a leader or made a mistake. As God has continued to teach me, we are all being taught, right? We are all being pruned. And as God has continued to teach me, it's like, wow, nope. Like I'm, I'm just a tiny little cog in the wheel. And that's it. Just like you. And I'm okay with that. You know, we, our, our world tries to encourage us to have this entrepreneurial mindset for pastors to be good leaders and visionaries. And, and some of that's important, absolutely. But even in my own heart, I'm fighting the Mary-Martha paradox. Am I, as a pastor, just comfortable and content to be in the presence of my Savior. Is that enough? Because apart from Him, what can I do? Nothing. If you've been here even but a week, you know, I can't even make y'all do things. That's fine. That's a joke. Might not have landed well, but all right, you know, trying to be an encourager. I, you know, if I was talking with someone earlier this morning, like if I sit up there and say, you know, we need to obey the speed limit, and you go out there and you go five over, like I can't, I can't control that. I can just come back to the word. I can just come back to the word of God and say, well, let's let's start there. The church's success, and I'm grateful for this, as I have learned this. And this might be a reminder for myself as well as all of us today. It's not up to me. The church's growth is not up to me. It's not even up to you. Now, we are called to be obedient, to be faithful. The increase comes from the Lord. And it comes, I would argue, from our perspective of being rather than doing. And out of our being in Christ, the doing comes. And more importantly, then we know why we're doing whatever it is that we're doing. Because we understand being first. And I don't want us in this transitional season to become distracted in doing before being. A friend of mine in ministry is looking for jobs. And we've been perusing Church job websites. Yes, those are a thing, in case you're unaware. There's at least six or seven of them with jobs, 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 jobs. And then honestly, and in transparency, concerns my heart how many churches are just about the doing instead of the being. We find our purpose in the being, not in the doing. And as our church grows and as this church in Acts grows... This will be why. Because they were content and comfortable in the being versus pursuing the doing. So let's turn back to Acts now with this understanding that those who were taught and then taught this to the disciples understood this to the degree we probably will never understand. Being with Jesus in person, how great. Ah, can't imagine. One day. One day. So there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. 
and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Do you find the interesting thing in that one little verse that I do? Wait a second. Not all who believed turned to the Lord? Oh. What? Well, James tells us that even the demons believe and are afraid. Belief, my friends, is not enough. They turned to the Lord. They became obedient to the word. Faithful to the ministry. And yes, then doing would have been a part of that. But there's a lot of people who just believe today. Like they use, uh, Dave, Dave, one of our elders, used this cliche. I've got to give him credit because I laughed when I heard it earlier this week. You know, they simply just believe and they use this as, you know, fire insurance. Fire being hell and Okay, I, 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 that was, okay I, I, it cracked me up, all right? This isn't just fire insurance. It's a calling. It's a lifestyle. It's never-ending. It's an identity. And so we find some that believe, yeah, okay, I get that. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And they did not turn to the Lord. This is not the ministry to which we've been called. And if you are a part of our church and you're a believer, it is time to turn to the Lord again for the millionth time maybe in your life. Daily, hourly, minutely, turn to the Lord. This is not new. We've been reading through Second Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah earlier this year on repentance. And what was the entire message of that? Return to me was the series, Turn to the Lord. The repentant heart, a regenerate spirit, thanks be to God, we are changed day by day, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so there were some who believed, but they did not turn to the Lord. And you probably know the safe and most likely answer if I were to ask, do you think that there are some out there today who believe, maybe even in this room, who believe but aren't turning to the Lord? Should this concern us? Yes. What should we do about it? Be obedient. Turn our own hearts to the Lord. There may be a plank in our own eye versus a speck in someone else's. And trust the Lord of the harvest with the harvest, with the increase. To be Instead of do. And sometimes I think we as Christians think we have to fix everybody. Or fix everything. Solve world hunger. Famine. Water problems. And yes, those are all good things, but that's not why we're here. We're here to echo the same message that has been echoed from the Old Testament through the New. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was Jesus' first words, his first call to ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who came before him? John the Baptist. What was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go back to the prophets in the Old Testament, the major and minor prophets. What was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Like, it's all. Once we get that, again, weight comes off our shoulders. Weight comes off my shoulders. Because what do I have to do? I have to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what do we have to tell others to do? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do I have to fix you? No, I can't. Can you fix me? No. This is a trap in today's world because the world is basically saying through many, many different venues and many different religions that we can fix each other. There is no reconciliation apart from Christ. People can't fix other people. Broken can't fix broken. This is why we need a Savior. This is the gospel. Because we are sinful and broken 
rebellious, and unrepentant. But because of His grace, because of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us, our sins, not like, as Brad said, not that they didn't exist, they did exist, and then we're cleansed. Now, now reconciliation, now regeneration, now a new creation, now a new identity, now a new purpose. It starts with being and overflows into the doing. So the hand of the Lord was with them because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And a great number who believe turned to the Lord. That might be some of us today or even listening. Belief, not enough. There's the confessing part. Those who believe and confess. Confess with their lips. Live with their lives that he is king of kings. Okay, let's do that. Let's turn to the Lord. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So there's something going on in Antioch. In Antioch, if you are unaware, there were like at least five or six Antiochs. Because one of the rulers at the time, he decided to like name every town he started after his dad. So it was just like Antioch over here and Antioch over there and Antioch. This would have been like Antioch by the sea would have been how this one would have actually been known. Um, this is true, right? So it's just Antioch. Oh, yeah, which one? So it's, it's this Antioch. There are a few Antiochs. And this was a, a city of, at the time, maybe up to half a million people. Very large place of business, uh, commerce, travel, people going to and from, not too far from the Mediterranean Sea, a cool little spot there, had great access to resources and travel routes. And like many large cities... It was a horrible place to be. Things were being believed there. Things were being done there. It was a very immoral place. So much so that uh, a Roman uh, ruler at the time said, Oh, yes, this Antioch has overflowed into Rome and contaminated its waters. This place was even known... You know, farther along in the Mediterranean Sea, it was like, this is, ugh, you go there, okay. It's like Vegas or someplace, you know. Like, what happens in Vegas? <laughs> Nothing that happens there stays there. It's the dumb saying, okay. Because people are posting about it on their Instagram and social media, like, look, what I did. look how dumb I was. Anyway, so nothing happens stays there. This is a very immoral place. And yet, this is going on. The church is growing. So much so, that they're like, it's growing so much, let's send someone from Jerusalem. All right, Barnabas, you're up. He was either first choice or last straw. (laughs) That we don't know, but that's kind of the way it would have been. All right? So we can look at it that way. All right, I guess I'm going to do this thing. He was either first choice or last straw. Regardless, he was obedient, and Barnabas went. So Barnabas came, now verse 23, and saw the grace of God. And he was glad. Now what does the grace of God look like to you? Because he saw it. So we have to ask ourselves, if you can see it, what does it look like? Would we know it if we saw it today? At the very least, the grace of God looks like people turning to the Lord. Coming to the knowledge and relationship. The repentance and the regeneration in Christ Jesus. I would call that the grace of God, wouldn't you? So at the very least, that's what it is. But most likely, he even also saw at people who were being versus doing, rallying around the word of God at dinner times and lunches and business meetings, excited to share their faith not only with one another, but with those around them because the church was growing. This would have been a very interesting place to be because in the depravity of the surroundings, you have this light. Which we know, Jesus also said, cannot be hidden. So if it's in you and if it's in us, it will be seen. Which is where we're going. So when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them, he praised them, he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus, which isn't exactly close by, but close enough and far enough away from Jerusalem to justify the trip. And he went to look for Saul. Now remember, Barnabas is the guy who stood up and testified, saying, no, I, this really happened to Saul, and I believe him. He's not here to kill us or persecute us or be a mole in the group anymore. You know, and that's not what he's going to do. And I, I, let's endorse him and then send him on his ministry. So Barnabas may have had even a previous relationship with Saul as far as they might have been students of a uh, Pharisaical leader named Gamaliel even before this, as they learned the Old Testament scriptures. Because, again, what we're reading wasn't written. Just as a reminder, they were living this. So Barnabas goes a town or two over to Tarsus to look for his friend. Now, you and I might today put in Google Maps or Apple Maps or... Even when I was growing up and you had the... We would go to MapQuest and then print. And you rip off the little ends. That was so fun, you know. If you don't know even what I'm talking about, the little paper with... Okay, forget it. All right, so... And you print that out and you're like, now I know where I'm going. And, and you had a map, you had a destination. Well, Barnabas did not have MapQuest or Google Maps or Apple Maps or a phone number or a Rolodex or a telephone. We could just call him up. So Barnabas goes two towns over just like, So! So! Nope. So! Have you seen Saul? Do you know Saul? you know Saul? Yeah. Hello? Nope. Finally, we imagine from the text here that actually it would have taken a bit. John MacArthur does a great exposition of that. won't go there, but would have taken a bit. And he finds, he finds him. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. For a whole year. How long are you willing to do what God has called you to do? Have you set a time frame on it? I will do this for such and such a day, and then I will be done. No, he said, don't, don't even plan for that. You don't know how long you will live. Don't say I will go into such and such a city and do this or do that and plan for so many things. Jesus then later says in this, in this same story you know, that, that his life will be required of him, even that night. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You and I have today. That being said, what has God called you to in this season? And do you have your mind made up on how long it will be? You might look at children's ministry and you're like, that's a lot. If I would do to, if I did a year, like it was time. Like a prison sentence or something like that, you know? That's the way we view it. If I did a, if I did a year, came out with, you know, tattoos and, you know, experiences and, you know, horrible stories or whatever. Like, don't go in there. You know, if I did a year, man, have you done your time? I've done my time. How many years are you doing for? I'm in for two years. What? Treehouse, two years. That's our, that's our toddler infant ministry down the hall called Treehouse. Elders, yeah, elders have a three-year sentence. Yes, that's right. You know, how... They did it for a year. Are you willing to do something? Say, I will commit this year to do that. And if so, for the Lord, what is that thing you're willing to do? Thirdly, I would argue that if you aren't in that mindset of committing a certain amount of time to do this certain thing, you might need to reevaluate what you're here to do. Because if we understand being... And then again, that overflows into doing. We are called to serve. But I don't like that. I, don't, I, didn't, see that, I didn't see this requirement. I just, they did it for a year. But I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't, see, I don't, I don't see that there. What we do know is that Barnabas and Saul partnered up and taught a great many people for a year. Finally today, 
and in Antioch, in the place of the most surroundings. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, why is that important for us today? Well, first of all, hopefully that's the title that you and I would be known by, right? Yes, no, yeah, okay, okay, all right, I'm just, I, I don't know. They were first called Christians, so in, in, the, in the darkest night, the brightest light. I mean, that's, that's really what was going on, and these, these Christians was initially, most likely, a derogatory term. It was a put-down. It was an insult. And there's a few different iterations of it, but it essentially means little Christ or Christ ones. There's an there's a alternate uh, translation of the text that a few of us have been reading as best we can off and on. It's called the Hawaiian Pigeon Translation. Uh, the Hawaiian Pigeon is an actual language. It's spoken, and it's a mix between of a whole bunch of different things. If you are bored one day, try to read the Bible in Hawaiian pigeon translation, you will understand what I'm talking about, to the point that there are even different titles. Yeah, some of you are laughing. You already know. Um, uh, that that the, even the book of Acts is actually renamed Jesus Guys. And as humorous as I found it then, and still do, it's still funny. It's just called Jesus Guys, you know. Um, uh, oh, I want to... Um, ah, I have to. It's worth pulling up. Hold on, bear with me. This is this is not in my notes, not in my notes. Um, but they've re, you know the Hawaiian pigeon translation in order to communicate to its Genesis is simply just recalled start. Exodus is called out of Egypt, and that's O U T A. I'm not mispronouncing things or using grammatical inflection. It's out of Egypt. Um, Leviticus is priests, priestesses, priestes, plural. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy is just rules the second time. Uh, it's uh, just um, Proverbs is smart guys. Um, I know, no, this is you can look this up. This is this is an Acts is is Jesus guys. Um, and I love the ending, the ending of the, the, the book Revelation is simply just retitled Jesus Show. <laughs> Regardless, as funny as that is, and as humorous as I still find it, and some of you find it, just based on English, right? it's only funny in comparison to the English, but there are people who speak this, where this is their language. Thanks be to God that this, is, this reaches them, that they, that they can, I can't understand it, but that they can understand it and then hear the same word of God. That, that's a great and good thing. Don't hear me wrong on that. But comparison to the English, it's just so different. It's like, I, we wouldn't say it that way, right? And as humorous as the title is, how accurate is it? Jesus, guys. Jesus, guys. Yeah. Jesus, guys. Jesus, guys. Jesus, guys. And this derogatory term of little Christ or Christ-like ones, there would have been an insult, it just stuck. To the point where they even started referring to themselves as such. Here's the last thing I want to land on today. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They didn't call themselves that to begin with, someone else did. Today, right now, would your life have enough evidence in it for someone else to call you Christian? Right now, today, does your life contain enough daily evidence for someone on the outside to say, you must be a Christian? Is it seen? Is it, is it known? Like Barnabas showed up and the grace of God was, was visible. Is it, is it visible in your life? Is it overflowing out of you? Or are you just a Christian on the weekend? 
or used as leverage when someone else isn't doing something so good. And then we can, you know, come up to my level. They didn't call themselves Christians. Others did. Would someone call you today kind? Would someone call you gracious? Would someone call you forgiving? Would someone call you merciful? Would someone call you loving? Would someone call you disciplined? Would someone call you regenerate? In other words, you're being made new in Christ as as your life progresses. You aren't who you were before. Or, like, are you those people who believed and then just didn't turn to the Lord and went back to your other thing? Yeah, I got the get-out-of-jail-free card. Which is, again, that Facebook meme. That's not how any of this works. You know, it's, it's not how any of this works. Does your life today contain enough evidence for someone to call you Christian? And secondly, how grateful are we to be called such? You know, our our government takes censuses and does polls and research and stuff, and how many people in our nation identify as Christian. But that term has now just been so widely used and misused. That maybe the church, maybe even God's own people have forgotten the value and the honor of being called a Jesus guy. A little Christ. A Christ one. Are you with me on that today? Like, you you picking up what I'm putting down type of thing? You know, like, we take that term, we just throw it around. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Someone asks, oh, what do you believe? Oh, I'm a Christian. And that's not even enough. If it's a blanket term anymore, we're going to be more specific than that. What an opportunity, what a privilege to be called Christian in the same exact term and maybe even soon in the derogatory term, that was first referenced here in Acts 11. That was a put down, as an insult. Fine. If you're going to call me a little Christ, insult me. Bring it on. Does our life today have enough evidence that we too, in Antioch 2,000 years ago, would be called Christian? Friends, I want to encourage you today to go and live in such a manner as that to which we've been called. Professing the gospel. Living the word as taught. Being willing and able to be pruned and disciplined and grow and change and be formed and reformed so that we are not more like ourselves, but like Christ. Every good and Perfect thing is a gift from above, the word tells us. Well, that's from the Lord. I'm not good by myself. But I can have a little bit more goodness because of who Christ is in me. I'm not kind by myself. I don't want to forgive by myself. But, thanks be to God, more Christ in me, you're called to forgive. His word tells us that. So I'm obedient to that. And now I'm changed because of that. And so is whoever I'm dealing with, interacting with, responsible for, in my family, in my home, in my relationships. Let's be Christians this week. Amen? Let's be Christ ones, Jesus guys, people who are passionate in their pursuit, who are being in the presence of Jesus. The doing comes, don't get me wrong. The doing will be there. But let's be content and comfortable being Christian first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us. God, thank you for what a, 
what a privilege to, to even just be called that term, Christian. I mean, we, for all we know, we, we, call, we could be called goofy ones, weird, weird-headed peoples, the ugly folk. But how great is it, Lord, that we are, even the title in which we get to partake in is called Christians now. The image bearers of your name. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and you knowing us to be inheritors of even that title for which we probably know we aren't worthy of. Thanks be to God, again, Christ in us, Christians, Christ ones. We have so much to be grateful and thankful for, Lord. Your forgiveness, your spirit in us, your word to teach us. Thank you. And may we be Christians this week, that there's enough evidence in our daily lives for others to say, yeah, surely, There is something different about them. Surely they must know something I don't. Surely they know Jesus and are walking with him. It's not enough to believe, but may we believe and turn to the Lord. For apart from you, we can do nothing. How freeing is that? responsibility and pressure for the things that really matter. Taken away. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So what do we do? Lord, let us trust you. Lord, increase our faith. Make us more devoted, more disciplined, more obedient, more faithful, more forgiving. And all these things that overflow from your spirit in us and your word showing us how to go. All these things, the church is thankful for, Lord, and my heart is also encourage us, change us for your glory, not our own. And in your name, the church says, amen. Let's stand as we close in worship. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.